0: Hi, and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm Christina Beckhold Russ. I cover the UK and Europe for Samsung Next. Over the next several months, we'll be sharing interviews recorded at this year's Tech Open Air Conference in Berlin, where some of today's leading minds in technology gathered in early July. Each week, we'll highlight the human stories behind tomorrow's most groundbreaking innovations. Up next, you'll hear my conversation with Stephanie Kaiser. Founder and Managing Director of the digital health platform, Heartbeat Labs. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for being here. We're really excited to have you. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. So you studied humanities at university here in Berlin, but then you actually found your sort of first big break or job doing work in Vietnam. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's right. It was actually meant to be as an internship, and it was an internship at the very beginning, where they digitalized a huge library and catalog which was uh, kind of on paper still, right? We cannot imagine this today, but um, it was a catalog on paper and it was scanned uh, here in Germany. And then the scans were sent over and they kind of had to uh, bring the data from the scan into a, a database. Mm-hmm. And it was a very old catalog. So it was from 1840 onwards. So you can imagine it was German, old German handwriting. I was not able to read it. It was really <laughs> interesting because they were, yeah, Sure. <laughs> I was kind of with that uh, for 14 months mm-hmm. and it was my, first working experience and I enjoyed it heavily because it was 14 months of six days a week work and everybody wanted to kind of we were all sitting in the same boat we really wanted to make this project happen and it was a great time
0: that's great after you did that project you worked at a couple of big companies right Jamba and then MTV and Nickelodeon but then you sort of jumped into startups you were head of product and then co-founded a couple of of companies what was it that drew you to entrepreneurship because that's a that's a tough
1: job That's an interesting question. I think for me, it was the experience actually of working in big corporations. So... Um, I think it was that I, bad you had to
0: <laughs> go to startup.
1: Yeah. Well, I, you know, <laughs> it was special. And I would say I, I just don't fit the model, mm-hmm. right? There are other people that can do it better than I can do. And, um, at Nickelodeon, for example, if I always have to wait for decisions from New York, um, I cannot really move and I want to kind of take my own decisions, make my own mistakes, learn from that. It's just that that I'm that kind of person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that drew me to the startup environment, but also I have to, Uh, say that it was a personal decision also because it uh, was my former boss at boss's boss actually at uh, Jamba Mm -hmm. who asked me whether I wanted to join his startup uh, that was building games and uh, I really wanted to work with him as well so it was a a two-folded decision it was I wanted to work with him as a person but I also wanted to work in a smaller environment
0: yeah And how important is sort of that network piece as you've moved through different startups, different Mm. segments? Mm Because I think a lot of times, you know, it it is a friend or a colleague or someone you've Mm. worked with before is doing Mm -hmm. something interesting Mm -hmm. and they pull you in and and it may not be the thing that you thought you would be doing, but Mm -hmm. you wanted to be with them. How important has that been to you in sort of choosing the kinds of companies that you've wanted to get involved with?
1: Absolutely important, I would say. So it was pure coincidence that I ended up at Jamba. That kind of was the kickstart because it was the Jamba. We always called it the Jamba family.
0: For those who are not
1: based out of uh,
0: Germany, can you explain a little bit about what Jamba ah, is?
1: Sure. Yes. In the US, it was called Jamster because uh, there was Jamba juice, so we couldn't uh, use Jamba.
0: <laughs> I think I think of a smoothie. When I hear Jamba. <laughs> yes.
1: It was a ringtone company. In two, I mean, we are talking 2006, right? So that's a long time ago. And it was very well known and much hated at the time. Um, maybe people remember the crazy frog anyway um <laughs> <laughs> that was one product of jamba and uh, what was the original question we were coming from oh
0: uh, sort of how network ah, uh, right. yes sort of pulled you into different yes places. and
1: everyone who worked there basically afterwards spread out into the startup scene of berlin and also uh, internationally so also in london and uh, uh, and everywhere else mm-hmm. so basically Any job that I had afterwards was somehow based on this network and was falling into place, I would say. So that was really the kickstart. Mm -hmm. So as much as Jamba was hated at the time, my parents keep saying this was really the best that could have happened to you because you (laughs) built up your network at that time. And that was very important.
0: Yeah, it's those, those sort of mafias that grow yes. out of successful companies. <laughs> yes. That ultimately, the, it's always fascinating to see sort of the web mm-hmm. of where people go. Yeah, have there ever been times where you just sort of wanted to, you know, throw the towel in where it got too hard? Can you maybe describe one of those moments that you had and how you sort of coaxed yourself back to sticking with it?
1: how often do you have that i mean i have that very often i have it at least once a week so oh yeah, yeah okay great okay well i have that often as well um not once a week i think i'm i'm uh, maybe a little bit more stable now but i think uh, i had it most when um i became a parent when i kind of gave birth to my daughter and after the parental leave um i started uh, heartbeat labs and uh, that i do full time And it's really this kind of process of becoming a parent, but also kind of building a company. And that is kind of crazy and to find the right balance there. And I mean, I'm stating the obvious, everybody knows that it's tricky. So I had my moments where I wanted to throw the towel. Um, However, uh, what I do then is go in action mode and uh, work my way out of it. So whenever I feel like everything is too much, Mm -hmm. then I really need to go in action mode, put my head down and go through my emails or whatever Mm -hmm. and get things done. And that's when I then feel better. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> That's my strategy. No,
0: that's a good one. <laughs> and were there any moments where you wish that maybe you had made a different decision, that you had said no to something or pushed back and walked away?
1: No, no? because I think my brain is not built for these kinds of thoughts. And whenever I look back, it's this, je ne regret rien. Um, I don't really uh, see anything that I should have uh, done differently. I think everything that happened in my life had its place and time.
0: That's great. I think that's <laughs> what everyone wants to sort of reach at the end of their life, is looking back without <laughs> regret. So that's <laughs> wonderful. So just sort of going back to some of your work experience, your product seems to really be sort of the thread that runs through. And Mm -hmm. I I was curious if you could – Define product management for us? Because I think that can be a very fuzzy term for people. And what are some of the characteristics or attributes of people who really excel at it?
1: You are completely right. I think product management is defined in different companies in very different ways. But I think to boil it down, for me, it's the interface between uh, the engineer and the user. So I, as a product manager, really need to understand how you are using um, my products that I'm building and whether they are built for you, whether you can actually use them and uh, a developer not necessarily thinks in this way because they are kind of thinking about their code and that's what they should actually do, right? So it's this kind of interface and anything that comes with it, right? So um, we are doing concepts, but then we are working with a lot of people. So it's a lot of stakeholder management. You're working with designers, you're working with engineers, you're working with the user because you need to do user testings and you need to learn uh, which crappy ideas you came up with to make them better. When I started at Jamba, I was a student worker. They started a, their own social network, which was in itself a bad idea because Jamba was really well hated in the uh, in the kind of in Germany, um, and nobody would go on the street and say, "Hey, are you in the cool Jamba social network?" <laughs> but anyway, there was a team being built, and um, I asked whether I could join as a junior product manager. I, I really had no clue what that is, but I felt like, "Wow, I can learn a lot in this place," so I wanted to join. And um, my boss accepted. And I asked him, why do you accept? Because I have no clue what it actually is. I need to <laughs> learn on the job. And he said one thing, and I think that describes very well what you need as a product manager. He said, 70% of your work is communication. And I think it's even more. And you can do that fairly well. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, that you need to have. And mm-hmm. you need to have a lot of empathy. You really need to understand how are the users kind of looking at what you have built and can they actually use it. And it's more than listening to users. I just said in my talk, don't listen to your users, look at them. Um, because what they say is uh, sometimes something different than what they actually need. And mm-hmm. you need to read people well. And I think that kind of these two things are very, very important. There is a kind of a, a whole flower pot of things that that would be um, additionally needed. But uh, these two things I would like to focus on. Yeah.
0: Another product question. You served as VP of product at Clue for about a year, which Mm -hmm. has been a major Berlin success story and and really sort of paved the way as a pioneer in the femtech movement. Um, What drew you to that company?
1: Ah, Oh, I had known them for a long time. So while I was building this games company, um, I met Ida Mm -hmm. uh, and Hans and I think also Mike very early on. And uh, I referred their first engineer, which was my best friend. He's still my best friend, (laughs) um, into that group of people uh, that then built Clue was there something specific
0: about what Clue was doing that was interesting to you in the sort of health and wellness space?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. A clue, I think, is a very, for many, many people, a very useful tool. It's used by many people, right? Millions and products are only used uh, by millions if it helps with something. And whenever I said I'm working with Clue, I got really good feedback. And many stories how Clue had helped women in their life um, to understand their body better. So that, I think, drives me, um, is really the people that I'm working with mm-hmm. and uh meaning of the product and how it helps actual people
0: yeah and from there, you went on to start Heartbeat Labs. And so I'd love to hear just a little bit about how you define Heartbeat Labs, where the idea came from.
1: We call it a platform. Mm-hmm. But what it really does is we invest into a digital health startups, uh, which we have done for nine companies right now. But also in the last two years, we have started five uh, companies on our own. Basically, we are delivering services to them that they can focus on whatever they need to focus on, right? Mm-hmm. So they get the first investment from us and they get... Whatever they need to build a startup, we call that the general startup components and medical startup components. So, for example, we have product people, we have designers, we have um, tech people, but also we have a medical legal, right? And these are kind of shared between the companies that we are building. So we are a very operatively involved company Mm -hmm. builder.
0: How do you decide you know, companies that you want to invest in versus those that you want to more actively help build Mm
1: -hmm. hands on? I mean, the ones that we invest in are usually already there, right? So Mm -hmm. it's nothing that uh, we can build on our own. And for the ones that we have built on our own, we had a team of medical people together with business people looking at the market in a quite structured way. But then we kind of found opportunities here and there. We just started. It was really just this, okay, let's start with something. Mm -hmm. And it was deliberately uh, chosen rather simple- it's funny because they are not simple at all, clearly, but they look simple from the outside. Simple solutions in the beginning because we said we don't really know what the uh, healthcare market in Germany looks like because it's very tricky. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are heavy regulations and you have all the stakeholders. There is a lot of money in the system. So you can imagine that all the stakeholders also are kind of cautious about what's happening uh, with digital health products. So we said, okay, we really need to learn with the user and the patients first. And that's why we started with rather simple ideas. So they are not deep, deep medical AI or something. Mm -hmm. It's helped us for the two years a lot. We have learned a lot now. I wouldn't say that we don't have to learn anything anymore. (laughs) But now I understand the German healthcare market a little bit better and we are connected um, better now.
0: What's been the most surprising thing that you've learned about the German healthcare market?
1: I think the first thing that comes to my mind, I'm not sure if it's overall the most surprising thing, but it's, it's recently very surprising that the Ministry of Health has now come up with a draft for a Gazette's rule, I would say, that is really like a revolution for us in digital health. It's only a draft, right? So it will take Mm -hmm. up until the end of the year that it's being in effect. But if it comes into effect, it changes many things. And that's really, really surprising. So that's three things, if if I may go into Mm -hmm. the details. One is 2% of the health insurances can spend 2% of their savings on uh, digital health services, on the development of digital health services. That's a lot. And that's really um, groundbreaking. Uh, The second second thing is that telemedicine in Germany was forbidden up until 2017, right? Now it's allowed, but we still are not allowed to do marketing for it. So you can build the best telemedical service, but you can't market it. It doesn't really make sense, right? And What's
0: the reason for not being allowed to market it today? Is well,
1: that's kind of based on when it was not allowed to actually do it at all, right? So it's, a it's kind sort of, of like safety reg- of the service. Yeah, or- it's an old regulation. Mm-hmm. The third thing that is very important is that it says that uh, you can uh, bring digital services, services into reimbursement schemes and the doctor can kind of prescribe digital services. And what it really means is that as a digital service, you don't have to go to all the health insurances one by one and have contracts with them. But there is kind of this one where you say, okay, this is my digital service. I'm a a certified medical product. And now it's being reimbursed by all the health insurances um, uh, even without evidence for a year so you can kind of prove that your solution is kind of actually changing something f- uh, for the better for the patient and then it stays in the reimbursement scheme um, it may not seem revolutionary for you coming no, from it, a different yeah. country but for germany since we are very much behind it's it's uh, really a big surprise and that's pretty cool
0: are there other countries that you sort of look to for inspiration in terms of how they're more rapidly or openly innovating around digital health?
1: Yeah, I mean, in general, um, we look at solutions that are out there because clearly they, they have probably tested it with the user, right? right. Um, and
0: you've invested in like India and, and is that right? Other yes, places? Yes, in that, India,
1: you know? uh, in a, cure, in Kioskin. Mm-hmm. I think there are other countries where it's maybe a little bit easier to kind of innovate in the digital healthcare space. However, I think it's a tricky space as well because it's about health and it's about the health of actual people. Mm-hmm. So we need to be careful with this as well and we need to be careful with the data, et cetera. So I think it it makes sense to kind of take one step after the other as well.
0: Yeah. What do you think are the most pressing challenges in health and wellness right now, in Germany or, or more broadly? What are the yeah. problems that you're most interested in trying to solve?
1: I think it seems... Almost too banal, but um, telemedicine was not allowed in, in Germany up until 2017. So we were not able to have the first contact between the patient. And the doctor via a video chat, for example. So for very clear indications, why do we still have to go to the doctor and sit in a room full of germs forever and then be more sick afterwards, right? Mm. Um, So I think that's something that if we can market telemedical services that we can then also offer them in a a way where it makes sense. Um And I think there is, for example, the problem in Germany of the care in the countryside. Mm-hmm. So there are not as many doctors in the countryside. So again, telemedicine is kind of the way to go also for this kind of problem. Um, and then also the e-prescription. Um, at the moment, you cannot, uh, through a telemedical service, you cannot just write a prescription. It's not it's not allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, so this also needs to change and be allowed so that you are actually, if it's a very clear indication, you can just hop on a video call and see a doctor. The doctor says, okay, fine. It's a red eye infection. I can see it. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. And you get your prescription either it's uh, already at the pharmacy or you get it via email or even the medication is being sent to you. I mean, mm-hmm. we are almost in 2020. This should be possible. <laughs> yes. Absolutely.
0: And so what are the products or services that you guys have launched out of Heartbeat so far?
1: So there are several, right? Um, and I want to focus on two that are also telemedical services. One is a digital midwife, we call it, but it's not actually digital because it's a midwife on the one hand, but uh, a midwife basically connecting through digital uh, ways uh, to the it's not really a patient in that sense. It's a customer, I would mm-hmm. say, or a user. And um, nowadays we are being reimbursed by several uh, health insurances in Germany already. So you can, for seven days a week, you can hop on a call with a midwife if you have a question around your pregnancy or when you are, I don't know, breastfeeding, et cetera. And uh, that meets a huge need, especially uh, here because we have also a midwife. There are not enough midwives basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's helping because... For midwives, uh, there are not many part-time possibilities out there, right? But mm-hmm. surprise, surprise, midwives are usually female. There is only one male midwife in Germany. Really? Wow. So they are interested in part-time models. And in hospitals, it's not that easy. And we are offering part-time models. So I have the feeling that on the one hand side, we are bringing in more midwives into the system and we are helping kind of young families. Um, the second telemedical service that uh, I wanted to focus on is Fernarzt, mm-hmm. which is a, an asynchronous service, we call it, where basically... For regular prescriptions that you get every now and then again and again like the pill for example mm-hmm. you can go online you fill in a questionnaire mm-hmm. and uh, then it's being sent to a doctor and the asynchronous part comes now because the doctor eventually will look at it uh, after maybe five minutes but maybe also after 20 depending on the load um, and then the doctor kind of checks whether this prescription is uh, fine and uh, writes it and then it's being sent to a pharmacy Mm-hmm. and then the pill is just being sent to you uh, to your house and uh, that's basically very convenient right um, it's not possible for all the indications yet, and uh, also we want to develop more than just an asynchronous uh, telemedical service. But uh, it's a good start to learn. And then we have uh, two practice chains because we said, "Wow, we really want to learn about the processes and the actual patients and uh, what is happening there, mm-hmm. what can be kind of enhanced also through digital solutions in the processes that are actually happening." So that's very interesting for me because I have been in digital for sure. my whole life, and all of a sudden there are kind of doctor's practices and and real (laughs) people. (laughs) That's pretty cool and uh, very interesting. And then we have a fifth one, which... It's very early. It's it's the youngest of, mm-hmm. of the five. Um, and it's in the field of rare diseases and clinical trials. Mm-hmm. I think also clinical trials. There is uh, such a huge potential for digital solutions that help clinical trials to run smoother because today people have to go into sites and then they have to kind of uh, have all the uh, markers being taken. And um, let's see if also digital measures can help there.
0: That's great. I also wanted to touch briefly on your work uh, with the German Digital Council because yes. you're you're advising the federal government on digitization broadly. What's your sort of personal number one priority in your work on that council?
1: Yes. Um, so basically, I'm trying to um, uh, instill the agile mindset, and I know that's a buzzword, but uh, <laughs> the agile mindset into the government. Um, so the first topic. <laughs> I that, love. I love the the earth. <laughs> and from it's the funny because it's a, this the government is for me. It's like a big. I've also advised big corporations like Daimler, etc. And it's a big corporation with uh, difficult structures, I would say. And that's kind of normal, also fair enough, because it's many people working together. But uh, they also have the public and then they have regulations. So it's pretty tricky for them also to be agile, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is my uh, kind of uh, number one topic. So it's about how to build digital services in a different way, but then also how to approach things in an agile way and which kind of mindset does it need, right? Uh, It's it's this kind of, I can add more buzzwords and you will hate me, (laughs) but it's this, failure mindset. And I don't actually like the word failure in that uh, context, because it's not a failure. If it's just a disproven hypothesis sure. or assumption. It's just a learning. Mm-hmm. There is uh, quite some hope, I have to say. I've seen many projects that are working very well. Um, but also in the public, there is not much of this mindset where let's just try something out. And uh, then uh, if it doesn't work out, then we have to iterate and it will, will work out eventually. And that's the way to go. That's just not the mindset that we have yet. But we will get there. I'm fighting for it.
0: That's great. It's really very fortunate to have you on that <laughs> Council. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining us, Stephanie. It was wonderful. Thank wonderful you for
1: the, you. thank you for the discussion. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to
0: what's next. We're currently releasing a new episode every week from this year's tech open air conference in Berlin. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review. Just search for what's next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com forward slash podcast. I'm your host, Christina Beckhold-Russ. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King, Laura Flynn, and Eliza Lambert, with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we would love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next, or send us an email, podcast at samsungnext.com. Cheers.